um, when you know, Prophet Rod comes to you and says, well, Jesus told me yesterday in the shower that you need to pack up your bags and move to Alaska and do your ministry there. That's right. And oh, by the way, your wife is now mine. <laughs> yeah, by the way, right. It's <laughs> always, a, always this, a pattern that's, that's FYI, developed. Right? Found thoughts in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> to the Stand Firm podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Anglican Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys today? Great. No, great, Nick. Matt, I listened to the Preventing Grace podcast this week, and something you said on there really bothered me. And in the spirit of our last podcast on Matthew 18, I'm now coming to you with one witness. I confess that I did not come to you first in private, but this was public sin, as we discussed. So I'm going to give you two minutes now to defend Dune. I've, I've read it, and I know everyone loves it, but what's the big deal about Dune? It was a big meh for me. It was a big meh for you, really? Yeah, total is like fine. Like I didn't throw it away, <laughs> but what's the big deal? It was. It's a fast. Okay, so one of the great things I like about science fiction, and this not just space science fiction, but also you know like Tolkien and things like that, is it, is the ability of an author to create a whole world. And Herbert does that. He creates an amazing world in one volume, and you don't. You, there's there's subsequent volumes to do, but in that one volume, without really going into detail about the different houses and the different civilizations and how civilization got to one from one place to another. You, you, in the first few pages, walk into this already crafted, ready world. Um, and in that world, like every good science fiction author, he has just a spectacular plot with you know, action, adventure, all that kind of stuff thrown in, but that, that has a tight ending um, in which all the things you want to happen actually happen. Um, it's it's not like Game of Thrones, where if you ever try to read the novels, don't watch the movies; those are really bad. But if you <laughs> if you try to read the novels, which are not always greater, but they're you know they're not as explicit, um, you know, just does the thing ever end in any? No, it's still not ended. Um, and uh, you know, finally, he's just a good writer. He's a good writer. It's another thing. I I was disappointed in reading. I was, I was trying, I'm trying to find like good contemporary science fiction and you might have a good story, but the writing's horrible. You might have a good you know, character development, but the writing is awful. Not so, not so in this. It's a, it's a really, really well, well-written, well-crafted, well-crafted book. Um, and of course there's some theological implications and stuff in there. It's pretty cool. Yeah, you're like, you know, well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sold. I'm not sold. I never got into it. And I, the only time I ever saw it was at a, bar and i was in college and uh adams morgan was like it was like hip was playing uh on the wall uh that's right <laughs> are you talking about the film or the, yeah. the or the book oh the film the, like the 1980s film yeah okay that was that was bad it was like nobody goes back and thinks that you can't now, i'm interested there's not the technology there the cmi kind of stuff that we have now to do really good have you are you into science fiction like um sort of uh, sort of metaphysical science fiction supernatural science fiction or like really sort of um you know plausible science fiction i didn't know that there was a difference between the two until i read this series or at least i listened to it on audible um uh we are bob have you heard of this it's like no, this guy no. like like 15 million positive views or something like this and it's basically 
it's not like it's it's a it's a version of science fiction that eschews any sort of like aliens or you know time travel or any of the kind of um, sort of plot devices that you can use, and so it's to the extent that we can understand science, it still you know works as it were. Yeah. Um, and so, for instance, as far as I can tell, everyone agrees that the future holds us being uploaded into some sort of um, you know database that then three um, D printers will continue to print us and others as giant. Um, sort of robot, uh, what are those things that get sent to the um, probes? Like we're robot probes that travel from planet to planet and speak to each other and replicate each other by um, by building 3D printers. Um, that's, <laughs> that's the, and so all of them that I've read, and then there was this, there's this uh, Netflix, uh, uh, Amazon Prime show called The Expanse, which does the same thing. Although on the third season, they brought in aliens. So I was like, well, you've just jumped the, you've jumped the, you've nuked the nuked the fridge right <laughs> what they say in uh, indiana jones and the temple of the skull or whatever it was wow. the, the, anyway but i'm i'm um i'll have to check it out matt I, I haven't read a good science fiction book in a long time um since i used to read isaac asimov uh that was kind of my introduction and the genre that i was in when i was in middle and high school but uh, to check it out well it'll be a while but i'll probably try it again at some point i was just ready for like the thing everyone's been talking about for my entire life and i was just sort of let down by it but <laughs> anyway you feel rebuked would you like to confess now yeah. do we need to <laughs> take it to the church? Well, i mean I, you, you have to have sophisticated tastes so like <laughs> fair enough <laughs> fair enough it's always your accuser's fault right right, right exactly <laughs> well listen guys we batted around a couple of ideas for topics for this episode. So please do keep those suggestion emails coming. Uh, but we ended up in sort of a stalemate about what to talk about. And when that happens, we'll, we'll do another part in our 39 part series on the 39 articles of religion. We did original sin back in episode five. So check that out if you would like. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the sufficiency of scripture. Now that sounds sort of obvious, the idea that scripture is enough, but I think we'll find some big implications in the simple sounding idea that scripture is enough. So let me read the article. This is article six of our 39 articles in the Anglican Church, and then we can have our discussion. The article is called Of the Sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures for Salvation. Holy Scripture containeth all things necessary to salvation, so that whatsoever is not read therein, nor may be proved thereby, is not to be required of any man that it should be believed as an article of the faith, or be thought requisite or necessary to salvation. In the name of the Holy Scripture, we do understand those canonical books of the Old and New Testament, of whose authority was never any doubt in the church. And then, of course, it lists the books of the Old and New Testaments. So, guys, what do you think is the most important thing, or maybe the most overlooked thing, about the simple-sounding idea that Scripture is sufficient for salvation? Well, it's, uh, the phrase, um, whatever cannot be proven from the scriptures, cannot be held over any Christian person uh, as a matter of, of conscience, I think is huge, mm -hmm. because that, um, that disables or, or makes impossible, I think, the human want, which is to make law. We, we love making laws. We love creating our own regulations and judging other people by them. And that's what the Pharisees were doing with their elders, of, I mean, the tradition of the elders. Um, but that's that's what the far right fundamentalists will do with how, you know, shorter your sideburns. <laughs> and that will determine whether or not you're in or out. Um, 
the far left will do that with, uh, are you using recyclable bags or not? And, um, and all these are attempts on your conscience is something that is, that is not uh, the word of God, not, not something that God has, has called you to do. We can talk about how we establish that. Um, but that principle frees the person to buy you. Um, it's, this is one of the reasons why I, I move from kind of an agnostic position for regard to charismatic energy, I don't know if it's true or not, um, to one pretty adamant that it's not something we should sue because inherent in the idea that God is you know, still speaking through prophets or through tongues or whatever is also the idea that he can bind your, that you can, your, 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 this is a, a, an avenue to bind your conscience to some other word outside of the word of scripture. Um, when you know, prophet Bob comes to you and says, well, Jesus told me yesterday in the shower that you need to pack up your bags and move to Alaska and do your ministry there. That's right. And oh, by the way, your wife is now mine. <laughs> yeah, by the way, right. Yeah. <laughs> always a, always this, a pattern that's, that's FYI, developed. Right? Found thoughts in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're so exactly right. Freeing. Right. Yeah, I mean, that was the, the key point of the Reformation. I mean, you can you, you look at the, the, the freedom that the Reformers found um, in being, um, being well, freed from the, the accretions of the medieval Catholic uh, system in particular, you know, the, the varieties of uh, ways of penance, the variety, you know, pilgrimages and candles and, and um, all manner of unbiblical ways of reconciling yourself to God. And to cut through that with the clear teaching of Scripture was was life changing. I mean, this is what Luther even talks about in his uh, his breakthrough. I mean, scholars argue about exactly when, you know, sort of he the light came on. Uh, but and we could we could talk about that. But but at the very least, the light came on by his own attestation, at, at, at least dimly, if not fully, when he realized that that Jesus came to not be just a greater Moses. You know, the the way that Jesus had been taught was like now Jesus came to show the the truth law which was love and so here's you know one uh, example a through through quadruple a of quadruple z of how to love you know look and here's all here are the various laws that sort of emanate from this great monster law of love and when he realized that jesus came to show what what christian love was which was to you know john 1 4 says that this is love not that we love god but that he loved us and gave himself as a sacrifice of propitiation for our sins and that all of a sudden the entire system was 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 revolutionized and it became good news and so the bible in particular it was not as mysterious as had been told to people it was you know there are things that you need to do to learn to read and mark learn and inwardly digest as Cramer says but but in terms of the the clear teaching of what is good, true, and beautiful about what a Christian life looks like, it was fairly clear. And so it cut through all of the 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 other kind of man-made things that were binding on people's rightly guilty consciences and and actually interestingly enough uh prohibiting them from receiving the true absolution which comes from genuine confession of actual sin and then the actual absolution from a genuine crucified and risen savior i mean that's what that's what what the sufficiency of scripture meant is that when we are worried about ourselves which we should be we can turn to the good word of a good god who has been revealed through his prophets and 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 ultimately through his son and learn those areas in which we need to uh, repent and and more importantly or as importantly those areas that that have been atoned for by by the blood of christ and that's that sets people free for a new life um to for, for actual love and service it's like going to a good physician like you know that there's something wrong with you but because of your sin, you don't know exactly what it is. And so you go to the scriptures to find out 
what's wrong with you and it is an accurate diagnosis the bible will tell you what your problem is and one of the pieces of good news inherent in the sufficiency of scripture is that you don't need to get a second opinion this is an accurate portrait of who you are as a sinner and therein is the savior and so you don't need to say well that's that's a little bit dark, so I'm going to go to this other book or to my friend or to somebody else in the world. And then you get, as you said, you get all of these conflicting ideas and you don't actually get the solution to your problem, which is Jesus Christ, the, the savior of the world. That's right. I mean, Luther had a famous phrase in Bondage of the Will Against Erasmus. He says, the gouty foot laughs at your doctoring. You know, this idea that gout, um, that we think that we could somehow fix ourselves or that perhaps the, the, the cure doesn't lie in uh, the scripture alone, in the, in the work of Christ alone, and that we just kind of fiddle around with kind of self-improvement, whereas the, the belief says that you're dead. <laughs> you're dead in your trespasses and sins, and that the only hope for, um, for, for new life is through uh, faith in Christ. And so that's, a, you know, as we talked about before, John 6, that's a hard teaching, you know, who can, who can believe it? But, well, by the power of the Spirit, blowing as he will, uh, many have and many will continue to. And the problem of the church, I mean, this gets to Article 20, you know, now that we're talking about that, but these are, I, I see these as flip sides of the same coin. Article 20 is the, the application of Article 6 to the church. And Article 20 says that, that the church has power to decree rights or ceremonies and authority and controversies of faith, and yet it is not lawful for the church to ordain anything that is contrary to God's words written, neither may it so expound one place of scripture that it be repugnant to another. And it, it, it goes on, but, but that's the main point when it talks about how the work of the church is to clearly distinguish law and gospel, to clearly articulate and divide, you know, uh, proclaim the word of God so that people know precisely to your point, Nick, about the diagnosis, the, the churches that shy away from the, the dark um, sort of description that the Bible paints of the, of the lost sinful person are like that doctor who doesn't actually give you the sufficient diagnosis to the gravity of the situation and therefore leaves you um, um, undiagnosed and ultimately un, unhelped, really. And I think this is what we've seen in the church and, and even dialogues within, among ministers. You know, well, that sounds, that sounds too heavy. You know, you get those sort of quote unquote, I don't want to be a hellfire and brimstone preacher. It's like, well, if we read John 317, when Jesus says, I didn't come into the world to condemn it, but because the world was already condemned, you know, hellfire and brimstone, um, you know, go to, go to the uh, Pacific Northwest and, and ask me about hellfire and brimstone, you know, talk <laughs> about the despair and, and uh, lost reality of the world. And, you know, hellfire and brimstone may be a metaphor, but it's becoming increasingly less less so you know it seems that that um that there needs to be a deeper diagnosis than what many churches have given um for the ails which seem to be plaguing many of the people around us and that's precisely what article 6 and article 20 in tandem um should constrain the preacher to do like this is where we find out what's wrong not psychology all the psychology is helpful not medicine although medicine's helpful not economics or politics although all of those are interesting that's what reason comes in but the foundation in our scripture tradition and reason begins with the foundation of scripture and out of that we then work through all of these other um these other sort of human you know, reasonable uh, gifts of God through our intellect, but we are bounded, grounded, and founded. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, on the scripture. That'll preach. Those are my three points. I mean, uh, they all rhyme. They're not all the same letter, but that'll somebody will put that up at a good slideshow and then put some music behind <laughs> it, and there we go. <laughs>
when when you don't have this principle in view and you and you take your laws from other other sources or you you allow some other source to set itself up as a law in your life it becomes a kind of torturous way a way of living if you take any any human system you want to please you're in high school and you want to please a girl right you want to, you want to get her to like you right so she's going to have some laws that she's going to put on you this is what you need to do to <laughs> to, to uh, get my attention and keep it and so you can and if she's if she's smart she's never going to get you never she's never going to get you to the point where she's satisfied with you so you keep trying and trying and trying and trying and trying until you finally get the girl to like you um, and she won't ever, Should we know, translate this, this into process. some so other that's, that's metaphor for you, Nick? Sure. Is this uh, something? Uh, that... <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Well, that's the way human laws work. It's way that's the way you know Pharaoh worked. You, you, okay, well, fine. You get the yeah. You're making bricks, but now I want you to gather the straw too, and then and then and then once you gather the straw, you put the brick, and then you're never you never done. You never you never get it done. And that's the way we've talked before about you know the various ways Marxism is influencing uh, social justice and how and how in that system. If you take that as law, you're never going to satisfy it. You're never going to be able to get to get free, to get clean, to, to get rid of the shame of not satisfying the system. Um, that was the, that was the weight and the burden that the Pharisees put on the people of Israel. Yes. Uh, it's you're, you're never going to. They're the ones who are calling. They're the ones who are creating the law. They're enforcing the law, and you're never going to meet their and you're never going to meet their demands. Yeah, and um, you didn't know what it was. I mean, I think that's what the gift of the scriptures are. Is like you. You know, someone comes to you and is like, there's a big pile of dusty books in the back corner that are telling me you can't read mm -hmm. them and I'm going to explain them to you. And what they mean is that you need to give me some of your money and listen to what I say and get my dry cleaning. You know, you're like, well, I, I guess, like, seems to be a reasonable enough fellow. He's got a, he's got a, a, you know, doctorate or whatever. And, you know, that's what we were freed from. I mean, I think this is what Paul, I mean, correct me, I'm interested in what y'all think about this, but I, I'm, I've been reflecting on this, this uh, Romans 14 uh, that we've been given to preach about uh, when he talks about the weak in faith and the strong in faith, you know, and, and I think, I, at least this is my, my understanding of it now is that, you know, we are to bear with the weaker brother, but part of the, the sort of anemic reality of an uninformed faith would then sort of result in a fear to all of these non-biblical laws. You know, you would be able to be sort of constrained by, um, you know, the thing, the, the next thing that sounds reasonable and sounds good, you know, like, and I, and I feel, I feel my, myself, you know, when I was in high school and college, you know, the next sort of book that came out about the, the thing that Christians should do to, to, you know, make sure that they grow, you know, it's yeah. like, you need to start quiet time at four yeah. in the morning, you know, or you need to pray every six minutes. You know, I actually had a Timex Ironman that I set to beep every six minutes because I read somewhere that if you pray every six minutes, it's, then somehow that's gonna you're gonna grow in your faith and you know those are kind of kind of silly uh things but you can extrapolate that to sure. you know you need to throw away all your cds you know whatever whatever those those are things that are like tapes but they're um <laughs> flat and um and so i think you know in my preaching and teaching of this passage now is that to the extent that you you know the scriptures then it doesn't mean that you're infallible. You know, you need to be testing the spirit. You need to be in community and working through this, but you will be less likely to be immediately floored and or swayed by just some seemingly good idea about what it means to be a Christian if you actually know what God has asked and commanded and called people to be. And I think that's where 
you know, I see people getting all worried about the, the month that they were born in, you know, well, as a Pisces, I'm a, you know, I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, I mean, like what, you know, well, you know me, I'm just a, you know, an INTJ or whatever. You're like, well, you know, it might be descriptive to a certain degree, but I'm not sure you should really put as much weight on that as you are. I know I just opened a huge, yeah, can we're of, not going there. Jungian worms, but um, nevertheless, uh, that's what, that, that's what I, how I see it at this point. Yeah, I think that as killing, as the actual law of the Lord is, it is also a stable foundation. And if you don't have it, you are never sure where you stand. This might sound like a silly example, but it's been it's been one that I can't get out of my head. It's sort of foundational in my life. I remember once years ago when I was not married, just dating my future wife. I went on this um, prison ministry weekend with all of these other guys who were older than me and married. And we had this sleep away sort of practice time to team build. And somebody had aired by scheduling this sleep away weekend over Valentine's Day. And all of these men were talking about how they were going to be in such trouble with their wives. And they were asking me as a younger unmarried man, what we do, what our relational practice was for Valentine's Day. And I made the mistake of telling them the truth, which is that neither I nor I care about Valentine's Day very much. We didn't like it when we were single. And so we sort of ignore it as a couple. And they were like, oh, you're making a mistake, son. She actually really cares about Valentine's Day. And she needs you to know that she cares without telling you. And I remember being very saddened by the whole thing that these husbands were honestly living their lives as though their wives were lying to them all the time, that they were supposed to be able to intuit what their wives really wanted without actually hearing the words. And I, it seems to me to be a very destabilizing thing. And yes. in the same way, God doesn't destabilize us. He does kill us with his law, but at least we know what it is. And so we're not always wondering. We can know that we're a sinner and we can know why and we can know what it is that the blood of Christ has covered. And so even though we have to deal internally with the fact that we are being killed and raised to new life, which is hard enough, it's at least a known thing. And we're not always living in fear. Amen. That's a great point, Nick. And I've just it just made me think about how you know, each uh, church or sort of community that I've been in has had, um, I think just as a result of us being sinners, um, sort of a, an overlay of another layer of righteousness, you know, another layer of, of uh, over the church, you know, and that I guess to the extent that we've been working in them, we've been trying to to crack through that but you know whether it's it's a special language about you know how are you loving your wife on valentine's day or there's sort of a piety that you need to to sort of events or you know some churches it's you know you bring your bible or not or your prayer book or not or you have you know there's just an overlay of of righteousness that that is that's just part of the water you know and i think that that's a perfect that's a great example because if we just continue i mean it's like we talked about last week with church discipline if we continue to just double down on the the dire diagnosis but of course in light of the gospel well then it it will continue to at least cut through you know cut through that 
veneer of sort of additional righteousness and hopefully, and I can say have seen this, um, bring people who otherwise would, would never have gotten along or they don't look the same, they don't have the same appreciation of movies or Valentine's Day or, you know, Herbert or any manner of things, <laughs> but they hear something about the truth of who they are, which transcends their, their otherwise man-made cultural um, realities, which some are, some are benign, you know, it's not, it's not at all negative. And that's the body of Christ that's built up. And I think that's what the Article 6 um, in particular was was celebrating. Because if you look at across the reformers, you know, I mean, you go back to even the earlier um, Jan Hus and Tyndale and Wycliffe and all these people who were well before um, even the magisterial, you know, their, their sincere belief was that in this book, we have now been freed. Like in this, through these words, we have received new life. And that that is something that I believe the church, certainly in the, in the West and the mainline, um, has rejected and, and maybe never believed, but certainly has forgotten. And I think that we have a wonderful opportunity, thankfully, by being bounded by these 39 articles to at least inspire and encourage ministers to, to simply um, get back to the, the preaching and teaching of the word. I mean, like what you're doing, Matt, you know, just go through the Bible. I mean, like we talked about before, when you said, when I became a Christian, I think the first thing I should do is just read the Bible. Well, that's, that's a novel idea, you know, <laughs> and um, you mean not, not Jesus calling for kids, you know, and I think that's, that's uh, conviction and um, encouragement to us all. The, the, it starts very subtly in churches. So just kind of adding on the, the layer of righteousness that you, you mentioned when I was going through seminary and I, I'm probably, it's probably still taught in a lot of seminaries that, that, um, okay, you don't want to leave your people with nothing to do. When you're finishing your sermon, there, there's got to be some action points. You got to have like, you know, okay, five ways that they can take the, the, the lesson that you're, the te text you're preaching on or whatever and apply it to their lives. Well, I understand the impetus behind that advice, but you know, I, I, what happens is if you end your sermons with the five things that they need to do to apply this in their lives, those are, those become the law. Those become not, not the actual text, like, right. Hey, uh, you know, be reverent. Um, no, the five ways that your pastor has told you to be reverent then become, <laughs> then become the law. So I need to say what they said. I need to, you know, make sure my, 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 my Sunday, everything has to be done in the five ways my pastor said. So then, then that becomes, um, that becomes kind of a, a, a veneer. Now you, now you come to church next Sunday, you're looking around, okay, who has, who has the, who has the tie on, who has the, uh, who's wearing the, the shine shoes and who didn't shine the shoes. And that's not, that's not very reverent if you didn't shine your shoes, obviously. So what you've done is you've layered this application of the law on top of the law and it's become law. And if that's your preaching style, if, you, if you're, if you're a pastor of a church and you just, I can't leave my people without something to do every Sunday, you're, you're really just layering on stuff. I mean, uh, and, and souls are being wearied, wearied by it. So, so yeah, you have to preach the God's law. But when I first, I forgot, forgot which book I was reading, I said, you know, the, the gospel is what they need to hear. <laughs> they need to hear about Christ, what Christ has done, not what, not what they need to do. Yes, you preach the law, but then you also preach Christ's fulfillment yeah. of the law um, and, and the cross. And if, the, if, you, if they're not going home with that, at the very least, they're, you're, you're, you're creating a church atmosphere of that, where that the veneer of righteousness you're talking about, um, a false veneer of righteousness is going to grow up. That's why for so many Christians, the fact that Jesus would say that his yoke is easy and his burden is light is like a ridiculous thing. 
Yeah. That, that rings so falsely to them because Christianity is a set of burdens. Yeah, our freedom it for freedom in Christ yoke. to set you free. You know, yeah. that's, what, that's what Paul says. They're like, what? Sorry. Like if you were to stop somebody on the street and say, what is Christianity? They would most likely, no matter who they are, they would most likely start running down a list of things that you have to do. And that is, at best, the first word of Christianity, even if those things are true biblical things, um, which they most likely, as you've been saying, are not. But what Christianity is, is a rescue mission from God to a sinner who has failed to do those things. Amen. I mean, that's exactly right. And I think that the, the, the difficulty when it comes to the Bible with respect to freedom and the yokes and the burden and all these things is that there are, you know, God has not left us uh, without some description of the way that, that we should live. You know, it's not, it's not that he just says, um, you know, well, I died for you and go figure out the rest of it on your own. You know, I mean, there are, there are, um, you know, sort of models, principles, um, you know, descriptions and, and, ex, and outright exhortations, you know, in the, in the New Testament, you know, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, you know, and so we, uh, but he simultaneously says, I'm the chief of sinners, you know, so we, we reconcile these through the preaching of the gospel, but we, we have this great distinction, and this is what um, Oswald Bayer, a great Lutheran theologian, um, saw, which I think is actually the, the breakthrough in Luther's theology, if we're coming full circle, is that when he realized the difference between a threat and a promise, you know, that the law brought the threat, but by faith, these threats became promises. So, for mm -hmm. instance, the first commandment, you know, you will have no other gods but me. Well, if you have, we've talked about this, but you have a lot of other gods. Well, that sounds like a threat. Like, yeah, you and what army? It's like, well, the army of heaven, <laughs> you know. Um, but if you actually hear by faith um, that you will have no other gods but me, then we take that as a as a promise that despite thank God, of the, yeah. thank God like despite I don't have to the, have 50 gods for the harvest. That's exactly the, right. Yeah. And despite the and despite the 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 sort of vicissitudes of my heart, you know, I will actually be carried by this God who promised me that He will be my God. And you just go down the list. And so we think about the the sort of the depictions and the commands and the exhortations. Well, it it it, it obtains all the way through. Like we hear them either either by faith or, or unbelief. And again, this brings us back to church, brings us back to Romans 7. I mean, this is why we work the steps, as they say in recovery. But but this is how I see the the yoke being free you actually are wearing a yoke you know i mean the, the yoke being light you know that that the the fruit of the spirit actually grows into things that you do you know love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness self-control these look like things that you do but as um as as paul says you know for the freedom christ has set you free from all of these other laws that bind and 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 constrain um, and that's been sort of a big turning point for me because um you know when you begin to read the bible through the lens of the promise by faith, you know, then then it becomes this this loving word of God. Yes, it has some challenging, um, you know, exhortations and and limits, but it's from the mouth of a good father that you trust that love. That's what, why, Matt. Back to your point, the preaching of the gospel has to be what is left every Sunday because you can come back to these laws laid down by God and hear them either as threats or by faith hear them as promise. And the thing that changes that and is the the enabling word, as the theologians would say, is the gospel, which then secures the promise. And that's that's the that's the that's the the way that it works yeah um, i mentioned you mentioned preaching through books i was i'm preaching through john right now and we came up to uh john 16 uh 12 through through 15 this week this last sunday uh where jesus says i still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth for he will speak not on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that have come 
And you know, we talked about how that that passage can be completely taken out of um, out of context, and people will say, "Oh, that means you know the Spirit's going to come and lead me into all truth." And so my truth is this: that's what I mean. My truth is that uh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not going to go to church here anymore. I'm going to sit in my bed and watch it on TV. When you get the context, you see, okay, well, he you know Jesus is really talking to the apostles, the eleven, um, and he's talking about a set body of truth, the truth that he's going to give to them. Um, then you have a really the basis for this idea of, of scriptural sufficiency because uh, Jesus there is promising a specific body of doctrine that he will give to those men. And so after their death, we can't expect any more Jesus speaking to other people, giving more, more commandments, more laws, more promises. It's, it's that full deposit was given to them. And so everything that we need uh, uh, to know about Christ, about about His person, about His work, about what our role is in in relationship to Him, that's all. That was all deposited with those with those men, and what they preached and taught is given to us in the in the New Testament. And, and so there, that that's it. And so when anyone tries to bind you to something else, there uh, in the name of Jesus. They're actually violating what yep. Jesus has has laid down through, through the apostles. Just as a quick aside, isn't that the important thing behind the idea of apostolic succession? It's not like your hands laid on my head and my hands laid on your head all the way back to St. Peter. The idea is that you taught me and somebody taught you and somebody taught you yes. and Jesus gave them that deposit of truth. Well, those are fighting words, Nick. I've gotten wow. in a long argument with someone who says okay. that the, 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 well, I disagree. I agree with you. I disagree with the person with whom I was arguing. It was a very pleasant argument, actually. But, um, but he's, he was saying that the, the, the efficacy of the gospel depends on the manual transmission of um, sort of the charism or whatever. And I said, well, I disagree with you. I think, um, you know, I see it more as a badge and gun, you know, like, give me your badge and gun. And, you know, that's why Bishop Spong should have been, um, you know, laid down his badge and had forcibly removed um, decades ago, along with just about every other purported bishop. You know, <laughs> and, and, but, um, but no, you're, you know, Matt, I think that's a good point and a good distinction. I don't know if you're making it, but the one that I'm hearing um, between uh, sort of people who claim apostolic um, revelation after the Bible versus those who believe in sort of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, like through healing or, um, well, mainly through healing. That's been my experience with it. The people get very, people who have experienced healing, um, you know, in sort of spiritual, you know, sort of past traumas or physical healing, um, get very nervous when they hear people talk that the Holy Spirit doesn't move and work. And that's usually not, they don't pick up this distinction. And so I've spent a lot of time trying to talk to people like, look, there's a, that, that no Christian is not going to, you know, we all have healing services in our church. Like we pray for the sick, like we anoint the sick, we, 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 we cry out to God that he would move supernaturally um, in the lives of, of sick people. This is what we pray for. And he has done and he doesn't do and this is what he did on earth and so we we hold that before him as people who are wholeheartedly in that respect charismatic you know in that respect believing in the holy spirit but i i think the point that you're bringing up matt needs to be clearly articulated is that what what people are disagreeing with fundamentally is this idea that god is continuing his revelation through specific people um in an authoritative way and you know that has been or even um, through churches 
Yeah, well, the, well, that's what the the Protestants. You know, we have a, we have um, we have a tortured history. But you know, it's it's you know, pick your you know, pick pick your poison here, because what they were arguing against Calvin in particular, you know, is that the Bible became the paper pope. You know, and so it was open. The pope was was static and open to you know limitless interpretation. You know, private interpretation was this uh, boogie word. Um, and so the magisterium, you know, the teaching of the church was elevated to the level of the scriptures. And so in a sense, that becomes, however many uh, cardinals and popes are involved, a this, an alternative source of divine revelation. And right. so, you know, we reject that. But at the same time, we have to own the fact that me and my Bible, you know, outside of the tradition and right. reason, outside of the body of Christ, uh, can lead to some very strange, sure. um, you know, anti-biblical uh, experiences as well. Um, and I think that's where it's my prayer, and it's it's one of the reasons why I, I love the Anglican tradition is that we are um, in conversation, you know, both with the fathers, with the tradition, with the scriptures, you know, bounded by the scriptures, but that we are in this constant sort of simple reformanda, you know, always reforming um, our understanding of of what the scripture is saying with respect to all of the, the means of, of sort of interpretation God has given us very gingerly, but with great reverence. And, and I think that there's, there's some expedience and, and, and benefit to that. You know, I look around at the way that the, the global, you know, the ACNA came into to existence. It was slow moving. It was much slower than some people wanted, you know, people, people left decades ago. Um, and yet eventually the consensus of the church bounded by the scriptures through the conviction of the Holy spirit gave the strength and courage to actually walk in this way and reset some things. And I've been very, um, uh, edified by that, uh, because it is, um, a, a move of, uh, rejecting, uh, new truths, new revelation, and returning once again to the apostolic witness, which, um, you know, as countercultural as it ever has been, will continue to be the foundation upon which, uh, the church can stand, you know, as opposed to the shifting, the shifting sand. I do think that for, uh, Roman Catholics and also for people who are coming out of really radically, uh, disassociated non-denominational churches uh, there is this like kind of false dichotomy there that, that either it's me and my bible under the tree or it's the magisterium tells us what the bible says and what tradition says too right it's not it's not just that the magisterium is claiming to be the perfect interpreter of scripture but also the perfect inter interpreter of tradition so they'll tell you what tradition is too i mean if, if you find something in the fathers that contradicts roman teaching that's not tradition it's 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 we'll tell you what tradition is and so and so you have a, the situation I've analogized it before like, to uh, say so you have a, a, people, a class of people in an astronomy class looking through a telescope trying to describe what the moon is made up of. And, you know, one person says, well, this mineral versus that mineral. Another person says, well, cheese. It's clearly made of cheese. Um, and, it's not. And the teacher goes, no, it's not. It's not made of, tree, of cheese. And the guy goes, well, you know, it looks like cheese to me. And the teacher says, well, no, you, we have these other scientists who've shown us that it's made of these kind of minerals. So we know it's not cheese. Um, and he says, well, you know, did, have they taken samples from every part of the moon? No. Well, then just, how do we know there's not part of, how do we know there's not part cheese there? Well, we just know. And so, you know, so, and so, and so you know, the tendency would be there for, if there were Roman Catholics who say, okay, well, you know, we need, we need an infallible uh, authority, like say the Astronomical Association, we need to grant that infallible authority to declare what the moon is and no one can argue with it. 
when really what you what you need is just to is this greater observation of the moon. The moon, will, the moon, the moon itself is able to ver is able to reveal what it is. You don't need an infallible interpreter to tell you what the moon is. Um, you have the you thing. Look itself. at the whole moon. You look at the whole. Yeah, you just study the moon closer, right? And so um, that's kind of the, that's kind of the response to those who say, "What do you mean sufficiency of scripture? There's like thirty thousand denominations, and you're all disagreeing about what scriptures say." Um, the answer to that is not, oh, we need an infallible teacher of the Bible. The answer to that is we study the Bible more carefully. We look yeah. at tradition. We understand um, the history of interpretation. We look at uh, grammatical, uh, historical grammatical ways of examining what the scriptures say. The answer is look at the, the thing itself and, and discover the truth from that rather than have this kind of artificial uh, authority imposed over it. Yeah, and I think to that, just in brief to that to that argument about the thirty thousand denominations, you know, we actually, if you look, if you dig in fundamental theological um, agreement, you know, we disagree on the means, uh, the ways that the church is comported. We disagree on ecclesiastical matters. We disagree on on the way that it's set up and sort of all the things that Article Twenty already already allowed for. So, well, the church has all rights to decree, you know, customs, and you know, I can say in our church we wear robes, you know, and if you don't want to work for me, you don't want to wear a robe. Well, that's fine, but I can't hire you. I mean, that seems silly but that's just how it is and that doesn't mean that we aren't unified with the baptist church down the down the street although the way that we will work our faith out is going to look dramatically different if you baptize a baby or you baptize an adult but that doesn't mean that we are anathematizing each other and not sharing the one lord one faith one baptism just happens in different times and places and so this argument that like you know that just because there's a Southern Baptist Church or whatever they're calling it now, um, or um, there's a Presbyterian Church or an Anglican Church, is somehow that is a is a visible strike of disunity. Well, if they're anathematizing each other and sort of picketing each other and saying that well you're not a Christian and how you know you're you're one step um, one step from the devil, well then maybe that would be um, something you should address, you know, with church discipline. But if it's simply a reflection of Article Twenty that God is going to have a a um, sort of a, a tapestry of a variety of, of people who will look different but worship the same Lord. And, um, and that's what we actually have in Protestantism. I mean, with some exceptions, of course, but those are, those are known and noted, you know, I mean, that's what's amazing. And the, the, the uh, you know, so I, again, that's just an aside, but I think it's, it's too easy to just throw at the Protestants, well, you have 30,000 denominations, so therefore, you know, your idea of church unity has been fractured. If anything, I think the fact that in light of those 30,000, there is a unity that can be found within, you know, 29, 29,500 of them or whatever is actually pretty remarkable because right. you know, there's a lot of different people over a lot of times and places and language and cultures who nevertheless would not disfellowship someone uh, because of their um, because of their confession of Christ. Okay, well, that's a good note to end on, I think. As is our custom, we've reached the end of our time that we try to allot for ourselves without having said many of the things we could say. Uh, for more on this, please do check out Matt's sermon on John 16, 12 to 15 on goodshepherdbinghamton.org. Thanks for joining our conversation today. If you want to keep it going, please be in touch with us. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com. Thanks, as always, to Matt Kennedy and J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm.